0: From the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Wednesday, May 3rd. Coming up today.
1: The Federal Reserve is expected to hike rates for a tenth straight time.
0: But a former Fed president said the central bank should not make the move.
1: Regional banks remain in focus after yesterday's
2: sell-off.
0: And the clock is ticking for Washington to cut a deal on the debt ceiling.
2: It was a loud meeting over rent increases for New York City apartments, plus the gunman accused of killing five people in Cleveland, Texas, is behind bars. I'm John Tucker. More ahead.
3: I'm John Stash, Aaron Sports. The Knicks beat the Heat to tie the series in one. The Lakers won game one at Golden State, a much-needed win for the Yankees. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast each morning on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts.
1: Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager.
0: And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today.
1: We begin this busy news day with the highly anticipated Fed meeting. Jay Powell and company are expected to raise rates for a tenth straight time today.
4: We get a preview from Bloomberg's Michael McKee. Investors are convinced the Fed will raise rates once more by a quarter percentage point. But after that one, they're done. They will signal rates are high enough and need to stay there for at least the rest of the year to ensure that inflation continues to slow. The onus for convincing Wall Street they will follow through will fall on Chairman Jay Powell. Markets are pricing in two rate cuts by the end of 2023. Powell will also get questions about the status of the banking system and regulatory reforms the central bank needs to make. And, no doubt, about the debt ceiling, although that's an issue he's likely to dodge for the time being. Michael McKee, Bloomberg Daybreak.
0: All right, Mike, thanks. While the betting on Wall Street is for a 25-point rate hike, one former Fed official wants a different approach. Former Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan tells us rates should stay where they are.
5: I would prefer to do a, uh, what's called a hawkish pause, not raise, but signal that we're in a tightening uh, stance because I actually think the banking situation may well be more serious than we currently understand it.
0: And former Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan made the comments in an interview with Bloomberg's Kathleen Hayes. Stay tuned for more of that conversation coming up shortly on Bloomberg Daybreak.
5: Well, Karen
1: Kaplan's not the only one asking the central bank to pause. So are a couple lawmakers, including Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. They wrote a letter to Jay Powell urging the Fed to stop hiking rates. They cite the recent banking turmoil as a strong reason to pause.
0: And Nathan, that banking turmoil remains in focus again today. U.S. regional lenders tumbled yesterday on fresh anxiety over financial stability. PacWest Bancor plunged 27 percent, while Western Alliance dropped 15 percent, and both are lower again this morning. They're down roughly 2 percent. PGM CEO David Hunt tells us, we have yet to feel the full impact of the regional banking crisis.
5: We are actually just starting on the implications of, of, of the banking crisis that um, we are now going to see uh, a increased regulation uh, of banks, in particular focused on the regional banks as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, we're also going to see the result of that being a pullback in credit, which will help of course non-bank lenders, and we're going to see more bank consolidation.
0: And David Hunt of PGM sees widespread fallout, but that's not the view from Larry Summers. The former Treasury Secretary tells us the worst of the banking crisis is likely behind us.
4: I think that we actually are probably over the vast majority of uh, the banking of the banking traumas. But look, we still have institutions that have looked uh, vulnerable for some time, and those are the ones that are most affected uh, today.
0: Former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers made the comments in an interview with Bloomberg's David Weston. Catch that interview coming up shortly on the program.
1: Well, Karen, a bigger bank is also making headlines this morning. Morgan Stanley is in talks with you. U.S. prosecutors and regulators to resolve a probe into its block trading practices. We get the details from Bloomberg's Doug Krisner. The bank is currently discussing a resolution with the SEC and the U.S. attorney. Previously, Morgan Stanley said the inquiries focused on whether employees violated securities regulations by sharing or using information on impending block trades. Now, Morgan Stanley has discharged two bankers. The company said the move was tied to allegations about their communications on block trades and client activity. Wall Street has been watching closely as prosecutors probe how banks work with hedge funds and other buyers to privately carry out stock sales big enough to move prices. In New York, I'm Doug Krisner, Bloomberg Daybreak.
0: All right, Doug, thanks. Well, now let's shift to politics and get the latest on the debt ceiling debate. The deadline for a potential default just got a little closer, and that means there could be a need for a short-term fix. We get the latest from Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Between now and June
6: 1st, when the Treasury could run out of sufficient cash, President Biden and members of the House and Senate are scheduled to be in town at the same time. For one week, that's not enough time for the White House and lawmakers to strike a bargain before the deadline. A short-term extension is now likely, but could force Republicans to break their promise against a clean debt ceiling bill or force Democrats to concede, setting a precedent before negotiations even begin. Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak.
1: Okay, Amy, thank you. Along with the debt deadline, the White House is also under pressure over a potential migrant surge this spring. Now the Biden administration plans to deploy 1,500 members of the U.S. military along the Mexican border. We get that story from Bloomberg's Ed Baxter.
2: The administration says there's already been a spike in migration, and Brigadier General Pat Ryder says this is ahead of an expected surge of migrants once pandemic restrictions are lifted later this month.
1: For 90 days, these 1,500 military personnel who will be sourced from the active-duty component, will fill critical capability gaps, such as ground-based detection and monitoring.
2: General Ryder says they will not participate in law enforcement. Immigration is expected to be a major campaign issue in the 2024 election cycle. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak.
1: Time now for a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world with Bloomberg's John Tucker. Good morning, John.
2: And Nathan, tenants in New York City's 1 million rent-stabilized apartments are looking at increases after a Rent Guidelines Board meeting. The panel offered rent increases of 4% to 7% for two-year leases and 2 to 5% increases on one-year leases. Protesters stormed the stage of the meeting calling for a rent rollback. This woman spoke to ABC7.
3: How could we afford an increase right now?
2: Most of us don't have no jobs. The rent-type proposals face a final vote next month. Authorities near Houston say they've caught a man suspended of killing five of his neighbors with an AR-style rifle. San Jacinto County Sheriff Greg Capers says that 38-year-old Francisco Orpeza was arrested in connection with the shooting in the town of Cleveland, Texas. He says Orpeza was found hiding in the closet of a home under a pile of laundry after investigators acted on a tip.
5: They effectively made the arrest. He is uninjured. And he is currently being taken to my facility in Cold Springs.
2: Authorities say the shooting began late Friday after the neighbors had confronted Orpeza about firing a gun in his yard late at night. New York City Mayor Eric Adams once again accusing Texas Governor Greg Abbott of targeting black mayors with buses full of migrants.
3: Governor Abbott
5: sent uh, asylum seekers to New York, black mayor, to Washington, black mayor, to Houston black mayor, uh, to Los Angeles, black mayor, uh, to Denver, black mayor. He passed over thousands of cities to land here.
2: Governor Abbott's office says the migrants chose for themselves which cities to travel to. Donald Trump's attorney says the former president will not testify at a civil trial in New York. This comes after two women testified yesterday in support of writer E. Jean Carroll, who claims Trump raped her in the 1990s. He has denied that. It looks likely to be a long grind for Hollywood writers who have gone on strike to preserve pay and hang on to job security. Members of the Writers Guild of America picketing in New York and Los Angeles after their contract expired. It's the first writer's strike in 15 years. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm John Tucker. This is Bloomberg Nathan.
1: Thank you, John. <laughs>
3: Time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update with John Stashow. Thanks, Nathan. The Knicks lost game one to the Heat. Miami star Jimmy Butler didn't play game two at the Garden due to a sprained ankle, and yet the Knicks trailed for most of the night. Jalen Brunson was 0 for 7 on three-pointers in the opener. He called his play horrific, and he didn't play well first half of game two. But then Brunson came alive. Brunson to the left sideline. Cross Robinson on a switch. Takes some baseline. Tries to come uphill a bit. Step off the paint. Shoot on the fade. And scores! the game at 93 timeout Miami. On ESPN New York, Brunson scored 30 points. He made six three-pointers. The Knicks pulled out the Game 2 win. 111-105. Julius Randle back from his ankle injury. He was terrific. He scored 25 with 12 rebounds and 8 assists. R.J. Barrett had 24, and the series is tied at 1. Game 3, not until Saturday in Miami. Game 1 in the West, the Lakers beat Golden State for Anthony Davis. 30 points, 23 rebounds. Celtics and Sixers Game 2 tonight in Boston. Philly won the opener without Joel Embiid, and he He is not expected to play tonight. Embiid was just named NBA MVP. Stanley Cup playoffs, Florida and Seattle. Both off Game 7 wins on the road, and they won Game 1s of Round 2 on the road. The Panthers in Toronto, the Kraken in Dallas and overtime. The Devils off their Game 7 wins start their series tonight at Carolina. At the stadium, much-needed win for the Yankees. They had dropped seven of the last nine. They trailed Cleveland 2-0, came back to win 4-2. Home runs for Anthony Volpe and Willie Calhoun. The Mets rained out for the third time in four days. They'll play a day-night doubleheader today in Detroit. Bryce Harper's first game for the Phillies. He went 0 for 4 in a loss of the Dodgers. Harper back earlier than expected from Tommy John surgery. John Stanhouse, Bloomberg Sports.
6: The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry, and Media City Qatar, and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.
3: Live from coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak.
1: Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. To hike or to pause, that is the question for the Federal Open Market Committee, and we will find out this afternoon what the committee does about interest rates when its May meeting draws to a close. But opinion is divided among leading economic voices. So let's bring those voices to you now. In a conversation with Bloomberg's Kathleen Hayes, Sherry Ann, and Heidi Stroud Watts, former Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas President Robert Kaplan, called for a hawkish pause Amid regional bank turmoil, let's bring you part of that conversation.
6: You think the Fed should pause, why?
5: Yeah, I do think they should pause for a few reasons. One is, I think we're in the early stages, not the late stages of this banking situation. Uh, I think there's been a uh, pretty significant change for the prospects of small and mid-sized banks. They provide most of the lending to small mid-sized businesses in the United States. And uh, we've just seen the first phase of this, which is the asset liability mismatch, which is sort of the most obvious issue. But the credit issues are about to start, and I think that's why you're seeing the reaction in the markets. The, The other issue for me is, from a risk management point of view, if I were sitting in the seat, I think it's more important to be able to sustain the current rate for an extended period of time, longer than the market thinks, than get another 25 or 50 basis points and risk having to cut again. I think that would be very troubling. And uh, I'd say one more one more comment. If I were at the Fed, I'd call out that we need a whole of government approach to fight inflation. Right now the Fed is saying we've got this, uh-huh. we can solve it. I don't think that's the case. I would prefer to do a, a what's called the hawkish pause, not raise, but signal that we're in a tightening uh, stance because I actually think the banking situation may well be more serious than we currently understand, and I'd like to turn over a few more cards rather than regret not doing that three months from now.
6: Okay, put on your your former Goldman Sachs vice chair hat. Uh, If you were advising a desk, a trading desk, an investment desk, what do you think the risk is now? Have we, have we not seen the end of it? It seems, we know that there's shorts out there, or there you no know, people are nervous, but is there fundamental risk right now that could keep this small and medium-sized banking turmoil problem going?
5: Yeah, normally when we're discussing problems with banks, it's after we've been through a credit cycle. We have not been th- we haven't even started the credit cycle. We've just had an asset liability mismatch issue where banks were over invested in long-term treasuries and bank equity has been marked down just based on that. We've got the credit issues yet to come. We're at a different stage in the cycle and uh, and there's also uh, potential deposit instability down the road when those credit issues start to unfold. And so I would say we're in the second or third inning of this situation, not the first inning or seventh inning, I should say. We just finished the first phase potentially but there's a lot more to go. The credit phase, I think, normally is more serious.
7: Robert, on your point about pausing at this moment, uh, you don't expect that there might be the risk that if you pause at this level, that you might be forced to hike again like we saw with Australia. And what is really more detrimental to credibility at this point?
5: Yeah, so I think there's a way to position this. And let's say they raise, then pause, or they pause, and and signal uh, so-called hawkish pause. Either way, the rhetoric needs to be that the Fed stands ready to raise rates. All you're doing is we've raised a lot very quickly. We wanna absorb and digest some of it. I think people will will understand it, think it's prudent, but signal we're prepared to do more, and I think the markets will understand that message if they give that message.
7: On your concerns about credit tightening coming at a time when we saw the JOLTS numbers really fall, we're seeing layoffs at a two-three year high. Um, how concerning is this for the most vulnerable part of this of the American population, especially when you're thinking? that a lot of people will be left out when inflation is this fast.
5: So, so normally at this stage, you worry about the unemployed. Right now we're in a crisis of the employed. The problem that's going on out there, 50 million workers that make $50,000 a year or less cannot make ends meet, okay? And part of it is there's been a substantial amount of fiscal spending, which hasn't stopped by the way, Uh, and substantial amount of monetary easing and really the low moderate income families are paying the price of it. So you do need some adjustment in the labor market. We've got demographically in the United States shortage of workers for as far as the eye can see at 50,000 or less. And so I think you could tolerate some loosening in the labor market. Uh, I'm, I'm more worried about the family who is working but tells me they can't make ends meet. And that is a widespread group of people right now.
6: Does the Federal Reserve bear responsibility for what is happening to these banks?
5: I don't blame the Fed for making the hikes, although I would have eased off monetary policy a couple of years ago, so these weren't necessary. But once they had to do it, I don't blame them for that. I do think there's a problem with a lack of supervision once they knew they were in a hiking mode. And I think it was up to the Fed to supervise and make sure that if there were outliers, like two of the largest 15 banks, that they caught that early, so we wouldn't be going through what we're going through right now.
6: You left the Fed in 2021. Uh, The new framework was being put in place. The new framework said, oh, we're not gonna raise rates until we're well above 2%, until we've got maximum employment. Is that another factor that helped set the stage for where we are now?
5: It might have. As you know, I dissented uh, on the guidance in in September of 2020. It was the only dissent I ever made at the Fed, but I dissented because I thought locking into that guidance uh, did not make sense. Uh, And I wish that that hadn't been done, but yes, that may have led the Fed to be more inclined to keep buying bonds, to be later to raise rates. And and I've said probably many, many times, taking the foot off the accelerator earlier would have made it so they didn't have to slam on the brakes like they're doing right now.
6: What do you think is the big challenge for the Fed and the federal government right now?
5: Here's the issue. There's the monetary policy element of this cyclical part. But we've got a few other issues we we need more fiscal discipline we still have a lot of fiscal spending in the pipeline and right now the federal government in my view is working in some ways at cross purposes with the fed energy policy and the integration to the transition is being done on the backs of low moderate income families there's many actions outside the fed that are making it harder for people making 50 grand a year or less to make ends meet. And yes, I think you want a whole of government approach to inflation, not just a Fed does this alone approach.
7: And I mean, we come back to always a US debt ceiling issues, default possibility June 1st. We know sort of where this is going, but if we continue to see that standoff, what will be the implications?
5: So there's the back and forth of the standoff, which is gonna stress people out but there's a real issue in here as we sit here right now we haven't even gone into a downturn the deficit is right now already 10 percent of gdp we actually have a legitimate issue about the need for more fiscal restraint Uh, and if this game of chicken i don't like the tactics and i don't i don't think it's healthy to be threatening or, or making people worried about default but the discussion about uh, controlling spending is necessary. And I think uh, 50 million families that can't make ends meet out there, I think might welcome that debate.
6: Final quick quick question, quick answer. Uh, in June, in July, in August, are we still going to be where we are? Is the Fed gonna in effect have been done hiking rates? Do you think there's more to come? How is this gonna play out?
5: I think getting from where we are down to say 4% headline inflation will be doable. I think what we're going to find is it's going to be very sticky to get headline inflation below that. The wage price spiral of people making 50,000 or less is alive and well and intense. uh, And that's going to affect services inflation. So I think this is going to be a two or three year battle, not a six month battle.
1: And that was former Dallas Fed President Robert Kaplan speaking there with Bloomberg's Kathleen Hayes, Sherry On, and Heidi Stroud-Watts. While Robert Kaplan calls for a hawkish pause, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers says the Fed should remain just plain hawkish. In a discussion with Bloomberg's David Weston, Summers talked about a potential rate hike today, as well as the debt ceiling. Let's listen into that now.
8: We heard from Jamie Dimon after the First Republic that he thought pretty much we were over, maybe there'd be a small lender left. Looks like we're not over this, whatever it is right at this point. How did we get here? Why does this keep going on?
4: I think that we actually are probably over the vast majority of of the banking traumas. But look, we still have institutions that have looked vulnerable for some time, and those are the ones that are most affected today. We still have concerns about commercial real estate and what that's going to mean for the creditworthiness of a number of institutions. There are still questions that are going to be around. I'm concerned today, but I have to say I'm not highly alarmed by what's happening in the banking sector. I'm frankly, more alarmed about what's happening in uh, the political sector where it's clear that we've only got a certain amount of time and something's got to come together where something very serious is going to happen.
8: Before that, is there a more systemic effect here? Because we have a lot of banks, it appears, actually have liabilities greater than their assets at this point because of the reduced value of the assets, because of the rapid increase in the interest rates. Is there a larger issue of solvency with respect to a lot of US banks at this point?
4: I think there is some alarmism in the calculations you're describing because it insufficiently recognizes that yes, if you hold a bond or you hold a mortgage and the interest rate goes up, the value of that mortgage goes down. But equally, if you're having a deposit and that deposit is at a low interest rate, and so you're going to be able to earn a spread, there's an asset there. And when interest rates go up, the value of that asset goes up. And so I think it's kind of alarmist and wrong to focus on the first adjustment and not pay attention to uh, the second adjustment. So yes, absolutely, we have not been as careful in thinking about interest rate increases as we should have been. I think it was kind of amazing and very unfortunate that Fed stress testing didn't put weight on interest rate increase scenarios in the way that it should have. And that's an important intellectual failure by the Federal Reserve System. But I also think that the kind of analyses that you're citing are probably overly alarmist
8: Lawrence, let's come
4: back to the issue
8: raised by the debt ceiling. You've been in these jobs so when there's a crisis and sometimes they come in pairs. Right now we have the banking on the one hand and the debt ceiling on the other. How do you handle those simultaneous potential crises?
4: I think on the debt limit uh, issue, you have parties that may not always be rooting for uh, success. And you also have entities like the Republican caucus where you're negotiating with somebody, but you're not really sure of what the person you're negotiating with can or cannot uh, deliver. And that makes this a more difficult uh, kind of uh, situation.
8: Let's talk about the Federal Reserve.
4: How does this
8: affect, potentially, their decision? In the past, you said you think 25 basis points is in the cards for May. Can they hike into a banking crisis?
4: Anyone in the Federal Reserve System who was inclined to use language that was committing to further hikes in June should surely hesitate because we don't know how this is going to metastasize. At the same time, I think for the Fed to signal in a definitive way that they were finished would be to take a substantial risk of locking into what turns out to be a mistaken path and would also perhaps be taken by the market as a sign of significant alarm. So what I'm going to be looking for and hoping for from the Fed is a move upwards and a clear recognition of uncertainty and agnosticism with respect to what's coming. This is Bloomberg
1: Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond.